Hi, this is Samantha, and you're listening to the Layman's Doctor podcast, where we're bringing medicine home. Today is another installment of a series where we talk about local residency programs in an effort for persons who would like to stay in Jamaica, study in Jamaica, and want to create a profile that would make them more likely to succeed in becoming accepted. So I'm having some construction happening currently at my house. So the noise in the background is that. Um, while my guest is speaking, I will put myself on mute so that you guys can't hear, right? Um, so we will be talking about the obstetrics and gynecology program. So how to get in, what to expect and everything in between. Hi, Dr. Taylor Christmas. This is actually my first time even speaking to you outside of, you know, Twitter. So I'm excited to meet you and I'm so excited to hear all the things that you have to share. Um, and can you just introduce yourself for us? Hi, everyone. I am Anaki Taylor Christmas. I am an obstetrician and gynecologist trained through UA, did my MBBS at UA, did my doctorate of medicine in OBGYN at UA, and I also did an additional fellowship in gynae oncology as well. So that is the area that I practice in primarily. Um, I work at the Victoria Jubilee Hospital in the public system, and then I also work privately at the Winchester Business Centre. Outside of medicine, I am a wife. My partner is also a doctor. So there's there's lots of juggling behind the scenes to keep things smooth. And I'm a mom. And I also love to sing. I sing, um, I used to sing with university singers when I was in medical school. I sing at church now. And I also lead the digital team at my church as well. Okay. Thank you again so much for being a part of this conversation with me and i know that actually when i was talking about this not playlist but when i was talking about this series to a group of my friends one of my friends said can you please do one with ong like i need something about ong samantha you know you're always talking about international exams i want to know about the ong program here in jamaica so <laughs> it was really because of her that i pushed doing this so much so i hope she's listening and i hope that she shares this and gets value from this so let's talk about getting into the ong program as someone who has just completed medical school internship and senior house officer and i would love for you to also include some of your own personal experience with getting into ong Okay, so I will say from the beginning to get into any program now at UA is a lot more competitive than it was um, years ago. It's a lot more competitive than even when I did ONG and it was pretty competitive back then. So when I did it, we didn't have formal interviews. Um, basically, it really literally was just the apprenticeship thing in terms of the doctors seeing you, you're applying, and I guess having made a good impression on them, they decided if you were to get in or not. So the process 
to get into a program at UNO is a lot more formal um, with interviews that have to be done. And then the information and the scores and stuff are, are put together in conjunction with under, the undergraduates or put, sorry, postgraduate area of the university itself. So some of the admissions process is out of the hands of the consultant. So it's, it's not enough to just know them or have been seen around, but you really have to make a good impression with your um, letters and your interviews. So in terms of tips for applying to the program, I'll start even before the interview. You need to have a strong letter of recommendation. So I would recommend that you get, if possible, get letters of recommendation from senior doctors or consultants in the specialty that you're interested in working in. It's even better if they're actually a part of the, the teaching program. It holds a little bit more weight and it shows you up in a better light. So one of the ways to do that is you can make a good impression during medical school, but there are so many students that sometimes that's really hard. So you have to try and make a good impression during internship. But again, there are lots of interns. They may have limited contact with the consultant. So it's even better if you can apply to work in the area after internship during your SHO period or as a medical officer once SHO is completed. And then you make a really good impression on the, the consultants or on the senior registrars or the senior residents who are there, who will then feedback and tell the consultant that you are a really good um, part of the team. In addition to having experience in the area and leaving a good impression, being involved in some sort of research in the area is definitely a plus. I mean, being involved in any research at all is a plus, but especially if the research has something to do with your area of specialty, then that will put you, that will give you a leg up in your admission process and in the interview. I know that luckily, ONG is one of those programs that you have to rotate through in your internship. So one question is, as even as an intern or a senior house officer, what are some ways that we can make a good impression? And then another question I do have is, do you think that there is benefit to actually working as a resident or rather a medical officer in ONG before going on to apply to the program or does it not matter if you go after senior house officer position? So in terms of making a good impression, so I'm going to speak personally. What usually makes a good impression for me, because remember you're functioning on a team, and when you're in the program, you'll also be a part of several different teams. So I want to see that you are a good team member, that you are punctual or even better, you're a little bit early, that you're well prepared for the ward rounds, you know all the patients, you can answer basic questions about them. So when I come on the ward round, I, I want to hear you answer simple things, you know, like you have all the vitals lined up and ready, the examination, you have the problem list for all the patients and you're familiar with them, that your basic science is sound. So I don't expect you to be an expert, 
I don't expect it to be a ways. I don't expect you to know everything about ONG, but I do expect you to know the things well that you are supposed to have learned in MBBS, the basics of medicine and, and how they apply to you know the ONG patient. Or I guess for surgery or internal medicine, they'll want the same. So we don't expect you to be an expert in the area, but we do expect you to have a sound basic science knowledge and that should shine through on the ward round so when you're doing the round speak up you know take charge i don't mind on my rounds if the interns are who lead the discussions and then as the questions get more difficult then i'll step up and move away from them and and ask the residents the the harder questions about the patient's management be careful so it's just general principles of being a good doctor i want to see that you are a good doctor that you are thorough that you are careful and you have a good knowledge base and that you're a good team member so that the residents aren't complaining about your work ethic, the time you reach to work, you don't disappear early, you follow up the tests that need to be followed up, you alert them when something is wrong, you pass up things that need to pass up, you can identify when there is danger and make the necessary alerts. In terms of rotating, if it helps if you rotate through the area beforehand, I think it does because, again, making an impression with the consultants or a consultant in the area beforehand gives you a leg up, you get a stronger recommendation, you start kind of ahead of other people if you have made a good impression. It might be a disadvantage for you if you have not made a good impression or you weren't very strong doctor in the area for whatever reason at the time but definitely rotating through the area beforehand and making a good impression will for sure give you a leg up and it will also give you a chance to see if you actually like this area if you like working in that particular hospital or you know in that program because sometimes you realize after rotating in the area that either the specialty is not for you or doing a specialty in that program is not for you. And then you can save yourself years of, of heartache. Do you think that we should be upfront with our seniors, particularly our consultants, and say, I'm interested in doing ONG and I want to do it at the, the university? Absolutely. I mean, I know you probably see me trying to recruit people on Twitter. I love when students and interns and SHOs tell me that they're interested in the area. It's always good, especially, as I said, if they are very astute and good doctors in general. I'm always trying to recruit good doctors to come and join ONG because you want your specialty to be filled with people who will make excellent specialists in the area. Right, and who will carry the flag of your specialty high and also ensure I'm a woman, I'm going to need a gynecologist. So I want to make sure that there'll be good gynecologists there to take care of me when I'm older. Okay, great, great. The other question I have is you mentioned getting involved in research. How can persons become involved in research, especially if say they're not working in the corporate area, so they're not working at a UE, they're not working at a Victoria Jubilee, 
um, maybe even like a Spanish town hospital. They're not within that area uh, working at a hospital. How do you suggest that they become involved in research opportunities? So I, I will agree that it's a, a bit more difficult when you're out of the corporate area. Um, and I know particularly like Cornwall now will have a lot of difficulties because they're physically displaced. So it's a lot harder to be doing research. But it really would be as simple as um, when you are a student or an intern, you speak to the consultant, tell them you're interested in this area and you're interested in research. We're always looking for people who are willing to participate and help with research. If you tell us, we will find a way to incorporate you in something and get you involved. It may be a little bit difficult when you make the transition between being a medical student and an internship because you have less control over where you are located. So that may interrupt your participation, but you really should just ask. Speak with the, if you're in the public system, the senior registrars who tend to be um, specialists as they are finished and fully qualified, speak with the consultants, but speak to the residents and, and let them know, you know, you'd like to participate in research. How do you go about doing that? And I'm sure that somebody will find a way to incorporate you. We're always, always happy to have extra hands on board to help us. And I think no, because everything is so much so online that it's even becoming probably easier to be involved um, because I think a lot of times when we think about helping out with research, we think that we have to be present. Like when I say present, like physically there, but it really could mean helping to find resources, sifting through data, um, helping to write the conclusion aspect of the research papers, you know, the results, the interpretation and whatnot. So it's very heavily dependent, um, I think, on that. And we have much more accepted distance learning, distance working, and collaborating over the internet. Before we get into the interview process, I want to know, who do you think makes a good reference? So when we're choosing our references, what questions should we ask? What qualities should we look for in our reference? So, as I had alluded to earlier, you want to ensure that your reference is preferably a specialist in the area that you're interested in, because those will always hold the most weight. And the more senior they are, the better it is. And if they're directly involved in teaching or research or the program, um, then that's even better. In terms of how do you choose, you want to make sure that it's somebody that you made a good impression on. If you aren't certain about that, then maybe you really shouldn't ask them because you want your recommendation to be as strong as possible. So you want to know that you kind of clicked with a consultant um, when you were working with them or interacting with them and that you gave such excellent service that you left a good impression on the other team members, the residents, the nurses, and on the consultant herself as well. If you are not able to have that type of experience, you could ask the residents who are in the program 
who they ask and who makes a good reference for them. Because what you don't want is that, you know, your your reference kind of sabotages your efforts where it's negative. That would be the worst thing where it's a negative um, review of you or it's just, you know, very neutral. It's not strong. So you want as strong a recommendation as possible. All right. I think those responses have been very insightful for persons who are thinking about ONG. And one thing I tend to realize is that oftentimes the earlier you know what you want to do is sometimes the better it is. So I don't know if you have any words to say to persons who they went through internship, then they did SHO, and then, you know, they didn't have an idea in the head of what they wanted to do until it was quote unquote a little bit late. And now they're thinking, wow, I'm really interested in ONG. I'm really interested in research around ONG and whatnot. But they may feel as though their chance has passed. Um, what advice would you give to those types of doctors? Well, I will say it wouldn't be too late. As long as you're not, you know, very, very far, you know, like decades removed from finishing medical school. So your best bet is probably to see if you can rotate or work in the area in one of the hospitals to confirm, yes, that's the area that you love and you want to continue working in it for the rest of your career. And... uh, to give that good impression to the more senior doctors who will then be able to say, yes, this person has the aptitude and the attitude to work in this area. Um, and that, that will help to contribute to your recommendations and also your experience that you can pull on during the interview process. Okay, fantastic. That was a hard question. I feel like I, I threw it out. <laughs> It was, it was. (laughs) All right, but let's go into the interview process. I know that when you started out, there wasn't really an interview, but I'm hoping that uh, you have experience even as an interviewer yourself or prepping incoming candidates on how to prepare for their interview. And I'm sure that you know a lot of the interviewers or persons who have been interviewers. Um, So I'm excited to hear about how persons can really be their best selves and put a good foot forward and have a successful interview. So in terms of interview tips, I will say begin at the very beginning. First impressions are, are very important. So you have to be well put together. So, uh, you know, ONG has a reputation for, especially the ladies, for looking very sharp and well-dressed, you know, best dressed in the hospital. So take the time and put yourself together well. If you're a gentleman, wear a suit. If you're a lady, wear a nice outfit. Make sure your hair is well-groomed and that you you don't look tired and haggard like you're coming off of a long 48-hour shift from work. So that would be the first step. Make sure you're well put together. And these interview tips will go for, you know, if you're trying to get into UE, but it also applies for if you're interviewing anywhere in the world. 
or any program. Make sure that you have prepared for the common interview questions that are asked. So you can just Google it, resident interview. And if you want to be more specific, you, you delve into ONG. The specific questions that you're asked on the D will depend on the interview panel that is in front of you. But there are general questions that most interviewers will ask for a residency program. So you can look those up online and prepare. Write it down or prepare mentally on how you're going to answer those questions. And you can practice beforehand. You don't want to sound like a robot that has recorded the things and you're just spitting back your pre-recorded answers to them. You want it to sound natural, but you also don't want to be grasping and have a lot of blank spaces for basic questions um, that they ask. So you should know about the specialty. Be familiar with it. You know, maybe a little bit of the history of the specialty what it entails, especially in your country, locally, what it means to be a specialist, what will your practice entail, know a little bit about the subspecialties that are available in the area. And, you know, now more and more of the consultants have done fellowships. So, you know, there's a lot more experience with subspecialty areas in each clinical specialty. And then you need to know something about the specific program that you are applying to in terms of at the university. So know a little bit about the history of the program, know who are the consultants. You ask around, you can speak to residents who are in the program currently or who have just recently finished. In terms of what the program entails, how long it is, what the exams are like, what the structure of the exams is like, what the rotations are about, you know, the opportunities for research. Again, know about, you don't have to know their personal lives in detail, but know a bit about the consultants that are going to be running the program. Be a little bit familiar with what their specialty area is or their subspecialty area, what they like to do. And be familiar with who they are. So you can Google them, look them up beforehand if you never got the chance to rotate with them so that you know a little bit. At least you know what they look like, what they sound like and a little bit about what they practice. So it doesn't look good if you come to the interview and you don't know much about the specialty area, like what it entails. You don't know anything about the subspecialties. You have no specific interest and you don't know anything about the program at all at UE. And that shows that you're not really that interested you didn't do any homework or any research into it. And so somebody that has done that bit of homework will have a leg up over you and will look more interested and get more points during the interview. When you said to look up questions, I, I don't, you know, I don't even want to say it without a conviction, but I think we're on, we're probably unlikely to find um, questions that are, that have been written specifically by the Caribbean or even Jamaica. So do you think there is an advantage if you're looking at how to get into the ONG or um, rotation or questions for residency interviews? Do, do you think the system that you're looking at matters? Um, 
you know, the U.S. system versus the U.K. system. Right. So where it matters is that the structure of their programs may be different. So those particular details will be different. So some of the, the specific questions that they ask you may also be different. But the general questions, they want to know, they want to know a bit about you as a person. So they're probably going to ask you the generic questions about your strengths and your weaknesses. Now, if they ask you that and you there's a giant pause, you know, like you never thought of that before, then that's, you look like you haven't prepared for the exam. Everybody's going to ask in some format or some version of that question, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What do you bring or what will you bring to the, the team? What would make you a good addition to the team in that specialty at that hospital? What are your areas of interest in that specialty? And that's where you, if you've done research, you can you know, elaborate on that. Um, if you're not familiar with the subspecialty areas, then again, that kind of makes it look like you haven't prepared and you're not really that interested. You have to come across as, as being passionate about the area wouldn't expect you to know everything and they're not going to ask you but some may ask you clinical questions but they're not going to ask anything in detail about managing patients and all of that they may ask you weird questions like you know what is your favorite color or you know what type of pet did you have as a child and you just have to you know kind of prepare for these and answer in a way that can tie back into showing that you're a good fit for the institution and you'll make a good obstetrician and gynecologist or whatever specialty it is that you're interested in when you are finished. Um, but in terms of specific questions for local residency interviews, you know, I Googled it. It was just mostly the majority of the things are US based. So but the, the general, the gist of the questions, the essence of what they want to get from the interview is the same so you want to you know practice to speak so that you flow there's not a lot of awkward pauses you're not monotonous the simple you know public speaking tips and then again practice to answer the questions so that they kind of flow easily without too many pauses or gaps that make it look like you that's something that you never thought about before it never came to mind before and make it look unprepared for the interview okay very valuable tips but also very useful for really applying to any local program um so let's go into the meat of it i want to talk about what we can expect in the program so i have applied i got bomb references i blew my interviewers out of the park like i blew their minds and now it is i want to say september but i honestly don't even know <laughs> when the program starts uh. <laughs> but i have gotten accepted to the program yes we what work with can that i expect going in and how long does the program even take assuming that i pass everything I don't have any life issues. Um, you know, I, I don't get married or have any babies or anything. So I have to take no time off. I just get to go through it one time. 
So in terms of the length of the program, I think it's a four and a half year program in total. Your first exam, which is in the basic sciences, after your first year, I believe. And then you'll do your final exam, DM2, after four years. It's heavily clinically based and a lot of self-directed learning. They do have a lot of sessions um, in terms of presentations and lecturers. Some of it is guided by the residents. So the residents do the presentations and prepare them. And then you have a bit of discussion with the consultants afterwards and some of them are directed by the consultants and then you'll have journal clubs where you discuss relevant articles and how they tie back into your current practice but it's a lot of self-directed learning you have to know anatomy physiology pharmacology as it relates to you know, because it's obstetric, so the pregnant woman, but you also have to know the physiology and development and stuff of the fetus as well. So there's two patients that you have that you're learning about. And, uh, of course, the gynecological issues for women. The good part is that it focuses on women for, you know, majority of it. So if you have a passion for women's health care, and you don't mind that you aren't really treating men or seeing men anymore, then this is a specialty for you. But it is intensive, especially the obstetrics part of it. Um, just the physicality of doing duties and babies doing what they want to do at any hour of the night. I wouldn't. It's not the easiest specialty, just from from that perspective in terms of emergencies and duties and then balancing that with your full workload during the day and trying to study at the same time. Okay. And yeah, those babies really do come Absolutely. whenever they feel like particularly <laughs> yeah. in the AM. Yes, they love like, to. They love to come in the early mornings at some ungodly hours. Yes. So um a lot of persons or you've said a lot of new doctors or i don't know if that's even the right way to phrase it but a lot of ong post dm persons or doctors are now specializing and i kind of love that for jamaica i love the fact that we're having more expertise and more specialist areas especially for persons who do the fellowships and still remain in the public system that's very awesome actually when it comes to fellowships does the program provide any kind of support or guidance or is this something that doctors tend to have to do on their own or figure out on their own the plus for fellowships is that um, in ONG in particular, UE has started a few programs locally. So you can extend your experience. I think in fetal maternal medicine, I know gynae oncology now has a program um, that started a few years ago. And for pediatrics neonatology, I think they are offering post-DM fellowship programs for a few years. Still have a, a portion where you have to go away 
but at least the experience is now available locally. I will say that there are limitations to doing your fellowship here. And so if possible, you should always try and see if you can get the overseas experience uh, just to practice in an area that's well-resourced, well-equipped, has the gold standard of treatment for everything and every pathology and has the volume to see the length and breadth of all the pathologies that you may encounter in a high enough volume that you'll get enough experience to be comfortable. So if possible, it's always good to, to go away and get that experience. And the additional plus is that, you know, many of us, you know, we did our MBBS at UWE, we have done the DM at UWE, so it's always nice to go to a different environment, a different hospital system, and you know, learn a different way of doing things. You may see things with a fresh eye. Uh, in terms of the program, outside of the, what is offered locally, a lot of it is up to you as a resident to organize it because I don't think we really have any formal arrangements that we can shunt people through. Definitely not for ONG um, into fellowships. I know maybe pediatrics, has some arrangements um, in Canada and perhaps internal medicine, I think, for cardiology. They do facilitate um, residents doing fellowships. But for ONG, a lot of it is your own effort, which means that it's a good idea for you to know which subspecialty area you're interested in or figure that out during residency. That's the best time to start creating the linkages, and getting the exposure that you will need to give it a leg up to get a fellowship locally or abroad. My only follow-up question is for the international fellowships. I know there, you said there's maybe not as much support as um, one would want or need. So how do persons find out about these fellowships or how can they? So there are maybe two or three main ways to do it you google is your friend you can just google fellowship whichever area you're interested in um if you're interested in a particular country or if you know which country it is and you know what state in that country you put in that information and see what comes up and then just you know apply that way is a little bit harder because you are competing with locals who will immediately have a leg up on you and then other international people who are also you know randomly applying so the, the the application pool is quite large and it's a lot more difficult to get through that way but that is a possibility and the other way is to speak with consultants who have done fellowships find out where they went see if they can assist you either giving you information about that system and giving you tips and tricks for that system or even arranging for you to, you know, have an introduction or, you know, putting a good word for you in the fellowship program, which is always, when there's a personal touch um, associated with it, it's always better. And you'll always fare better than being an anonymous name, you know, in a pile of names applying for an area. So I will say when it comes to doing fellowships as an international graduate, the best way is always to meet 
the people in the program that you are interested in. Because as I said, they get maybe hundreds of applications, if not thousands of applications every year. And so if they've never met you, a lot of them, that's it. You, you won't even be considered, especially if you're a foreigner. So one way to meet them is to do a rotation there during residency, doing your elective in the area that you're interested in, in the country that you're interested in. It gives you something positive on your CV and it allows you to meet the people in the program and make a good impression on them. Some countries are easier than others. I know for the United States, you have to have USMLEs. If you don't have those exams, then you have to do, you know, basically just an observership. Um, other countries might be a little bit more easy in terms of being able to actively participate. I went to Australia, so transitioning there is a little bit easier in terms of doing fellowships and further studies. You don't have to do additional exams to, to do your electives or to do a fellowship. Your credentials from UE are transferable. And I think it's the same for Canada and the UK as well. And I know people are, have done fellowships in South Africa, Belgium, Germany. Because if you speak a foreign language, that's a plus for you. Because it opens up the pool of places that you can apply to and go to to do your fellowship. But I think the key as an international student is actually meeting and interacting with people beforehand. Best way to do it is do it during an elective, during your residency, or doing an attachment after you have finished a DM. Another way to do it is to meet them at conferences and um, introduce yourself or get introduced by your um, consultant. And you can also ask consultants who is in the area that you're interested in how they did it and if they can make any linkages for you. All right. I think that we have had a very comprehensive conversation about the program and how to really put your best foot forward. I will always say choosing to do a residency program is a very big step. A lot of times you're going to be committing to something not just for the four or five plus years that you'll be studying it, but you'll also have this qualification that allows you to practice in that field for a good rest of your life so you know it's a decision that i don't think persons should feel forced into making and or even rushed into making i know personally that a lot of us might feel this rush to join a program after senior house officer or even after the first year of medical officer of being a medical officer and then kind of feel like if we wait too long to start a program then, you know, maybe we haven't, I don't want to use the word failed, but, you know, we're maybe a little bit behind. So before I let you go, I would want to know if you have any final words for persons. Um, I also know that you, in the beginning, you told us um, where you work privately as well as where you work in public. But if you want to share with us maybe an email or a social media handle where we can, where persons who are interested in joining the program 
could maybe ask you more questions as well. Okay. Uh, well, in closing, I would say that, as you said, don't feel rushed to join a program. Make sure that this is an area that you are really interested in and passionate about because it is going to be something that you are likely to be doing for the rest of your medical career. Maintain a life outside of medicine. You're a whole person, so your entire identity should not be a doctor, even while you're in the program and you know your time is occupied trying to study and do duties and whatever. Make sure you keep that other side of yourself. If you like to read, keep on reading, dance, dance, swimming, whatever it is. Maintain your life outside of medicine and your hobbies. It's particularly important to have a good support system. So if you are, you know, if you are married or in a long-term relationship, you know, your partner has to be on board with you for residency. It's a tough road. Make sure you have your friends. Or your family around you and don't abandon them during the residency program. Remember, you're a whole person, not just doctor so-and-so. You know, you're still Anaki or Samantha, who you were before you started the program. And um, just keep the passion alive through all the ups and downs of, of medicine. It's tough. But you have to remember the reason why you, you came into medicine in the first place and why you picked ONG or whatever specialty as your specialty that you were interested in. So that when it's stressful and dips, you can still hold on to what brought you to medicine in the first place. In terms of my social media, to be honest, Right now, it's just mostly Twitter. So if you, you try to find me on Instagram or Facebook at the moment, it's a lost cause. My Twitter handle is at tropicalgynedoc. So that's tropical, G-Y-N-D-O-C. And I'm happy to answer any questions that, you know, students or even residents in the program already may have. Um, you can always send me a message on Twitter. I'll answer you as soon as I can. All right. I want to say thank you so much for taking time out to be a part of this conversation. I know it will help someone out there. So thank you everyone for listening. I hope that this podcast really helped you out. And you know, if you want to contact me, you can send me an email at samantha at the com. You can also find me on Instagram on, and on Twitter at the layman's dr. You can also contact me through my website, www.thelaymansdoctor.com. I look forward to hearing from you and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye. And thanks to Mio for joining up these. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mia Soti. You have love work to do. God will bless you here. <laughs> All right, let me close off.